So we're going to do that old school. If you would turn with me. Actually, you don't even have to turn there. I'm going to, I'm going to let you follow. I will read a couple of words, and then you will repeat it back. That's called responsive reading. You know? So there's various forms of responsive reading. But still stand with me as we read the Word of God together. So I've got two passages. I will say a few words, then you just repeat them back, and we'll read the Word together. Two passages, and then we'll pray for revival and get into our study this morning. Um, the first is found in Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Sure, I get all my spots here. Here we go. It's uh, Psalm 11, verse 2. Very short verse, but I think it'll make sense when you look at what we're going to study this morning. So just uh, repeat after me. The works of the Lord are great. The works of the Lord are great. Studied by all. Who have pleasure in them. Isn't that good to know? Anything you do in 2020, if you study the Word of God and you take pleasure in them, God's saying, you're getting it. And we'll look at the, uh, some other passages this morning that will bring these things to light. Now, second passage is found in Romans chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 2 and 3. Which he promised, which he promised before through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son Jesus. Christ our Lord. Who was born. Of the seed of David. According to the flesh. Let's pray. And we're going to pray for revival in this service as well. Lord, we just bow our hearts, our heads before you. Lord, your works are great studied by all those who take pleasure in them. The only reason we can take pleasure in them is you have saved us, renewed us, recreated us, redeemed us from the curse that we were singing earlier with that carol and that hymn. Far as the curse may be found, Lord, but the curse is not in us if now the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But now, Lord, you've given us by your Spirit a thirst to study not just to receive truth, but now to study it and to apply it, to reach out to others. Lord, uh, we thank you that you came, not, not born of a man, but Lord, you came holy, pure. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would bless this time this morning. Lord, we also pray for our nation, that it would turn back to you. There's so much sin, so much idolatry, so much division so much isms of all kinds. And Lord, we know that you're the only key that can heal broken homes, broken marriages, broken families, drug abuse, sexual abuse, all kinds of, Lord, just evil. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would open up the eyes of those that are in darkness. Lord, those that have it all but don't have Jesus don't have anything. Lord, I pray that they would come to know this season you as the Lord and Savior. Many of us in this room, Lord, we have friends that we went to high school with, college with, family members. We've been witnessing to them for years, both verbally and through our life. Lord, I pray this is the year they come to know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would come to see that this is the reason you came, was to save sinners, to save souls. And Lord, we pray that you would just bring a revival in Calvary Chapel, Richmond, in 
the body of Christ around this nation and around the world. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters this morning. Strengthen them, deliver them, heal them. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit here and around the world, wherever your gospel is preached. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to one final place. Galatians chapter 4. And we'll get into our study together. How many of you are tired of Christmas songs yet? I, I see an honest hand out there. I'm actually not yet, unless it's Wham or something like that. But, uh, you know, there's just a few things out there, but uh, it, I love this season. I hope you do too. As Dr. Russ said, uh, I, I think uh, pastors, we're going to start asking for vegetable trays. Uh, you know, I don't know about other people, but good night. There's a lot of good food that just like lands on your doorstep and and then you're and you still buy more. I don't understand. That's our sin nature. Like we already have enough, but this is only this time of year. So you buy something else and you're like, you'll be running for weeks in January and fasting from everything. But it's a blessing to just kind of enjoy this season and look at the and and again, uh, these things cause us to look at what is the real meaning of this season, and we'll take today and uh, this coming Wednesday, we have a special praise service and prayer service. The following Sunday, I'll kind of do a, a follow-up to this, Jesus uh, being the gift uh, that uh, really uh, the whole world needs. And so uh, then on Christmas Eve, we'll kind of have a smaller message along with what the kids will be singing and sharing. But uh, today, I want to take... Um, Bring us from the very beginning of everything all the way to Bethlehem. So Galatians chapter 4, starting, well, only verse 4. I'm only reading verse 4, actually. Uh, Galatians 4, 4. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did send your son, your only begotten son, in the fullness of time. Only you understood the fullness of time. Only you ordained it. But Lord, we want to appreciate it. And we want to, uh, Lord, have it have a deeper work in our life, in our spirit, in our life. And Lord, just the outflow of the work of the Spirit in our lives. So Lord, we pray that you would bless this time. Remove me, as it were, again from the equation that they, each and every person that's gathered here might hear from Jesus and your word. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Every man or woman that God has ever used throughout history was on a road, a path to a specific destination, a destiny, and a purpose preset by God to accomplish His will in harmony with His plan of redemption. And notice I said everyone that God had used, the saints of old, they were all put like pieces of the puzzle as part of his plan of redemption. Ordered steps, would you agree? All of them had ordered steps. The psalmist wrote on this. If I can advance this, I don't know if it just stopped, but there you go. The steps of a good man. Uh, God has ordained those steps. Abraham, 
He was born in Ur of the Chaldeans. But God had a plan and a road for Abraham to where? Canaan. He was going to take a road from Ur to Canaan. He didn't know that when he was born, but God knew that. Moses found that his road was a winding road up the Nile River in a little baby basket to Pharaoh's palace. Then away from Pharaoh and away from Egypt, eastward towards Midian, the desert of Arabia. Then all over that desert for 40 years working for Jethro, tending sheep. 40 years, not four years, not four months, 40. That should be a retirement party, but it wasn't at the end of that 40 years, right? you 40 years, oh, it's time to retire. God says, it's time to not retire. It's time, you're just getting started. Then back to Egypt, an exodus taking approximately 2 million formerly enslaved people with him through the Sinai Peninsula, Straight through the Red Sea. Who saw that coming, right? Straight through the Red Sea. No bridge, no tunnel. Straight through the Red Sea to the southern edge, uh, over to the desert again, to the southern edge of Canaan, back down 40 more years in the same desert he had spent 40 years before. Finally, at the ripe young age of 120, he got to the edge of the Jordan River up on Mount Nebo looking across into what is today Israel, the promised land. And here I drew it on a map for you just to kind of, uh, it, if, in case you think your current road is a little crazy and bumpy, take a look. This was Moses. I literally drew it. I took the history of Moses' uh, and I just went into PowerPoint and drew the whole thing out as best I knew historically and that's, I don't know how many squirrels I have, to, uh, uh, I have to do for 40 years twice in the desert, how many times they went around. But that gives you an idea in case your road is a little bit winding these days. Esther, you guys heard of her in the Bible? Esther, she had no idea that her road would lead to the palace of the king that would ultimately save her people from a near genocide. Long before Adolf Hitler, Satan had tried to kill the entire Jewish race at that time under the Persian Empire. Her uncle Mordecai, he would refer to her road as such a time as this. We still use that phrase today. It came from her uncle who said, you've been raised up for such a time as this. Paul was on a road to Damascus. And Jesus interrupted his trip, didn't he? He rerouted him, changed his name, and started a lifetime journey on the road to Rome. No idea. His lifetime journey was now Rome. His road, it's even more winding than Moses's. Take a look at Paul's road. I drew the whole thing. All four missionary journeys, his time down in Arabia, Back up to Tarsus, all of it. Start, finish. Road trips and travel rarely go exactly and as smoothly as planned. Can you guys attest to this? Especially when you have little kids, right? 
But as it relates to the road trip of life, after all, we're only passing through. Keep that in mind. No, your whole lifetime is just a road trip through this world. You are only passing through. Don't try and collect too much stuff. You're not taking any of it with you. We need the turn-by-turn directions of God, don't we? If we've been born again, your road and my road, your race to run, your life has been, according to Ephesians 2.10, your life has already been. If you're born again, if you say, I know I'm saved, I know I will see Jesus face to face as my Lord and Savior. Then according to Ephesians 2.10, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand, before your parents ever knew you'd come along, beforehand, that we should do what? Walk in them. We have a path to traverse. Things that must be done, things that you must do, things that I must do. In fact, they will be done. Isn't that good to know? They will be done according to the grace and the foreknowledge of God. But of all, of all the men and women that God has used, and of all the roads that many saints have walked, they all brought the message of God to their human peers. If they were used by God, they all brought the message of God to their human peers. The scriptures say, how beautiful are the what? Feet of them that bring the gospel of peace. And we're still, of course, doing that here today in 2019. When I had all of you stand, you were bringing the gospel of peace to our community, to people, elderly, single parents, incarcerated people. You're bringing the gospel of peace, but your feet have to do the walking. But it starts in your heart. But the feet of Jesus, the feet that walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the tiny feet uh, that rested on the straw in a manger, the perfect feet that were washed and anointed with precious oil. And ultimately, those perfect feet were nailed to a tree. It's his feet. It's his road to Bethlehem and ultimately Jerusalem that didn't just bring the truth of God to mankind, but the very presence of God and the forgiveness of God to mankind. So you and I can bring the message of Christ, but Jesus brought himself. The full path of Jesus' life is from eternity to eternity. Let me say that again. The full path of Jesus' life is from eternity to eternity. Now, that's outside of our comprehension. Uh, he stepped sacrificially into time, stepped into time. This morning, here in this Christmas season, I just want to take a few minutes to appreciate the portion that leads to Bethlehem, the part we can understand, the part that is written in the Scriptures, how the wonder of God's redemptive plan unfolds and how it relates to his unfolding plan for us personally. And if you're taking notes, again, the time and the word this morning, the road to Bethlehem. Alistair Begg said, we find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the Gospels, he is revealed. In Acts, he is preached. In the epistles, 
he is explained. In Revelation, he is expected. We looked at that in Hebrews just last week. If you were here, if you didn't catch the study, go back and, and listen to it. But we'll focus on what was predicted and what was revealed and the role of the saints of old in unknowingly. Don't you love when God uses you and I unknowingly? We thought we were just doing our own thing. You know, not a, I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm not just saying, like, I'm going to do my own thing. But I'm saying you really, you're trying to serve the Lord, and she says, I'm just going to drive to so-and-so and go do this or go do that. Along the way, other things happen. God moments, divine appointments. But uh, the saints of old, they, they played a role unknowingly preparing the road to Bethlehem. They didn't know they were preparing the road to Bethlehem. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was foreordained and slain before time. How does that work? He was slain before time, foreordained. And by the way, with approximately uh, 4,000 years in history, I want, to, I want you to understand it because the passage, let me put my glass on, I can see it. So uh, let me read them both. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. That was 2,000 years ago. Let's, let's understand and appreciate this because a lot of times people read that and say, if, if, an, if a non-believer, someone who doesn't know the Word of God, read this, they would say, that's exactly why I don't believe the Bible, because it says last times. And they couldn't be more wrong. And let me explain to you why this passage is, well, you know it's bullseye on the money, but let me explain how we can know it. And then in Revelation 13, 8, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God is saying, before time, I did all this, but I revealed it to you in the last times. You say, well, how was 2,000 years ago the last times? Well, before the cross, and really from Jesus' birth to the cross is only 33 years, so it looked like a, it would be like a hair, less than a hair on the timeline, right? So the whole 33 years is a blip, although it's the biggest, we'll talk about this more next week, it's a blip that's actually bigger than all the universe. However, Prior to Jesus' coming, there were 4,000 years of world history. Since Jesus, there's been 2,000 years of world history. If you know math, you should start to understand that the scriptures are correct on this. Let me use a hockey or baseball time frame analogy. If you like hockey, it's the season of... I, I, I used to love to go to Washington Capitol games when I was a kid growing up in the D.C. Beltway area. Now hockey bores me. Sorry for you hockey fans. But, uh, but nevertheless, it's on ice. It's wintertime. I get it. So people like that stuff. It does beat curling. But uh, anyway, hockey, <laughs> hockey has how many periods? Three. Three. So if two are done, guess where you're at? The last period. Two periods are done. You can divide our current world history into the same Three, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 4,000 years, then Jesus came, 2,000 since. We're on the last period. We also can take a baseball analogy where you also have an odd number, nine. After the sixth inning, you do this. Seventh inning, stretch. It's where they play up in Boston, Sweet Caroline and all that stuff. In the seventh inning, you know you're in the last three innings. 
two-thirds are gone, everyone knows we only have three innings to either come back or whatever. Does that make sense? So the Bible is, is correct. We're in the last times since that time. What it is now is we're in the two-minute warning, to use a football analogy. We're, we're in the late, late innings because the last period or the seventh inning or so started 2,000 years ago. So we're getting way late in the game. Anyway, you look at it. But even before time, to, to take the passage, uh, the, the, we can look at the, uh, the fact that we're in the end times, but take the rest of the passage. Before time, everything was already ordained by God as complete. Before time. If God in his will determines anything, it has zero chance of not happening. Zero chance. Zero means zero. And I know uh, our weathermen like to say, there, I remember one time we were in Orlando, it was 0% chance of rain. Guess what? It poured all day. But if God says something will or won't happen, guess what? It's done. Both literally and conceptually, though it's still outside of our understanding. This should clear up the, con I'm going to try and clear up the concept of foreordained. Think of it like this. This is my own definition. If it further confuses you, I'm sorry. <laughs> Think of it like this. It's happened before it's happened, and yet still needs to happen, and absolutely will happen. <laughs> I'll say it one more time. It's happened before it's happened, and yet still needs to happen and absolutely will happen. Somewhere how God can actually be in time and out of time, so it's not happened, will happen, foreordained. Make sense? Let's pick up the road to Bethlehem at the outset of time in the garden where the only other man, the only other man without an earthly father, and the only woman without an earthly mother were the only two people on earth, Adam and Eve. Just after the fall, when God pronounced the curse of death due to sin, it was in Genesis chapter 3, he told the serpent, and we know the serpent is Satan. This is clarified several other passages in Scripture, Revelation, just one example. But he told the serpent, who was Satan, that Eve's seed, in other words, her offspring would eventually be capital He. You can look at all this up in, in Genesis 3. We don't have time to turn there. But that she, she was told that her seed, capital He, would, be, would bruise the serpent's head, which is considered a, a, a metaphor for a mortal wound. But the serpent would bruise his heel. Same chapter in verse 21 God goes on to make tunics of skin from animals to cover Adam and Eve. So we see both the shedding of blood and a victorious redeemer promised and foreshadowed before Adam and Eve. They hadn't even had kids yet. They didn't have any children when God gave them this whole scene that your seed, capital He, and then came this animal skins and the blood, the shedding of blood. Fast forward to Abraham, whose own foreordained road, 
I cited earlier, and you got to see his winding road. No, wait, you saw Moses, but I mentioned Abraham. Um, and Abraham, who comes before Moses, obviously, he's raised up uh, by God to start the nation that would give birth to the city of Bethlehem. No Abraham, no Bethlehem. The birth of Abraham and Sarah's long-awaited son, Isaac, it's not a virgin birth, but in their very old age, Abraham being 100, it's nonetheless miraculous, and Isaac's birth in itself is a foreshadow, miraculous, of a more miraculous birth to come. So the birth of Isaac itself, of course, Isaac ends up typifying several foreshadowings of Jesus. And the birth of Isaac, then the birth of Jacob, then the 12 sons of Jacob, they establish the tribes of Israel. Without Isaac, there's no Jacob. Then you have Jacob, then you have the 12 tribes, including one tribe, Judah, who wasn't such a good guy in his younger years, but he comes around. Uh, through Judah, Jesus will come. At Jacob's death, he prophesies over all. He, he, he has these final prayers of prophecy over each of his sons. A couple of his sons are like, eh, that's not exactly what I was hoping to hear kind of thing. But, uh, but Judah hears that the scepter will never leave that tribe. The scepter. We understand that that's a, a kingship. The rule of a king will not depart from the tribe of Judah. Long before Israel was even a nation and never they didn't have a king or anything. They weren't a country. They were just a bunch of brothers that were causing a lot of trouble. They somehow made it down to Egypt and met their younger brother that they sold into slavery. So they hadn't become a nation yet. They'd never had a king. Fast forward 400 years later, which God had already told Abraham this would happen. Abraham didn't quite understand it. He's already home in heaven. 400 years later, baby Moses is born. He escapes a decree from the ruling Pharaoh that every baby boy is to be what? Killed. That sounds familiar. The serpent was trying again to prevent the seed of promise from coming by cutting off the whole nation. If I cut off Moses, Satan could already see Hebrews says he's a beautiful child. Satan could somehow tell that Moses was ordained to do this huge thing. So he said, I've got to kill this little baby. Cut off the nation. Now, Jesus, later on, somewhere between infant and two years of age, of course, he'll later escape a very similar decree where Herod slaughters all the baby, what? Boys, to ensure there's no threat to his throne. Fast forward from Moses to a woman who's not born in Israel. She's not uh, born into Israel. She's not from a Jewish family. She's not Jewish at all. Her name is Ruth. She's from the people in the nation of Moab, which is on the east side of the Jordan River, what's today modern-day Jordan. If you look on a map, she would be from the country of Jordan. She was not an Israelite, not Jewish. Her and her sister, they marry sons of a Jewish woman named Naomi. 
that Naomi and her husband had gone to Moab because they were in the middle of a drought and they were starving. They couldn't, they couldn't find food, so they went to Moab. Their sons marry these two Moabite women. But Naomi had to come back to Judah because all their husbands, her husband dies, the two daughter-in-laws, which were her sons, they die, Naomi's sons, they die. So when all their husbands die, Naomi decides that her best bet, she doesn't think the Moabites are going to take care of her, and they wouldn't have. She was, not, she was a foreigner to them. So she decides to go back to where? Judah. Here we go again. The road, the winding road, goes back to Judah from Moab, and her hometown is Bethlehem. Ruth refuses, opposite of her sister who goes back to her old culture, back to her idolatry, but Ruth refuses to go back to the Moabite way of living and to return to the idolatry of Moab, and she tells Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are my people, and your God is my God. So with both Naomi and Ruth, poor and penniless, they go to Bethlehem. Ruth happens to be attractive and catches the eye and the heart of a wealthy and God-fearing man, and he happens to be Naomi's relative, and his name is Boaz, and he's called the Redeemer, which is another name for Jesus. And he marries this non-Jewish woman. This is also a picture that God loves Gentiles too, right? So he marries this non-Jewish woman, and in a rags-to-riches story, the other woman, the other women, I'm sorry, the women plural, all the women of Bethlehem, they pray and they praise and they proclaim that Ruth's offspring will be famous. Boy, did they not prophesy correctly, right? They have this party and they say, your offspring's going to be famous. Once again, unknowingly, God had blessed that their worship was indeed 100% accurate. Because they say that, and only a couple of generations later, they, they pray it, they praise it, they're having this big party, your offspring's going to be famous in all of Israel, but not just all of Israel. They got a little short. It'll be all the world. Indeed, that's exactly the case, because just a couple generations later, Ruth and Boaz together, their son is named Obed. Awesome name if you're looking for names, uh, you know, that I've yet to meet one in America. So if you're on the market, for, we've had a lot of new babies here at the church in the last year. We've got like six of them. None of y'all went for Obed. It was out there. It was totally available to you. And if you, you know, everyone wants to be unique now. Our name, no one else has this name. You know, Scotty's been taken too many times. You know, we went with this, but Obed, they had a son named Boaz, by the way, still available as well as, as I can, best I can tell. But then they had a son, and when his name is more normal, Jesse. But then Jesse has a son named David. And God sends the prophet Samuel to anoint David as king, while 
King Saul is still Israel's first king at that time. But Saul has stopped following God altogether at this point. And David's described as a man after God's own heart. And he's from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of the scepter that Jacob had prophesied long before there even was a tribe of Judah or there was a nation or any of it. Now, all of a sudden, David, he's from Bethlehem. He's from Judah. He's only there because his grandfather happens to marry a Moabite woman who escapes starvation and gets back there. But then David spends anywhere for the next, ten, even after he's anointed, he's like, okay, I'm going to be king, great. How, where's my training? The next 10 to 15 years, he's running for his life from Saul. Those of you who went to Israel, you saw some of the places he was running, up to the uh, deserts of En Gedi and uh, all over the place, just running for his life. It was part of David's winding road. If I drew his on a map, it's quite amazing as well. But finally, he becomes king at the age of 30. Jesus will start his ministry at 30. Ezekiel gets his vision at the age of 30. They're very important numbers in the Bible. But he'll become king at the age of 30. He later, David's the one, hadn't happened before David, David makes Jerusalem the capital city. Prior to that, Jerusalem was not, Israel didn't even have control of Jerusalem. David takes the city and turns it into the capital city, which is interesting because it's the same place where Melchizedek reigned. If you've been in our Hebrew study, he reigned in Jerusalem, which was at that time called Salem, later becomes Jerusalem. It's the same place where Abraham had brought Isaac on Mount Moriah. But he thinks he's going to sacrifice Isaac. God said, no, it's just a picture. You're not really going to sacrifice him. I have the other ram, and I'll provide for myself the lamb. All that's in Jerusalem, same place. None of them knew that their road was leading to Bethlehem, though. David, he then brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem as the king. Our covenant previously was not in Jerusalem, but later his son Solomon will build the temple, and the Ark of the Covenant will rest inside the temple. God makes a covenant with David that when David becomes king, God comes to David and says, your, your seed, your family line, my scepter will stay in not just Judah, but your David line, Davidic line, from now to eternity. How about that? This is, a bigger, this is another addition to Jacob's prophecy. He says, not just tribe of Judah, specifically, David, your line, your line. Because you, you know, you, you've got all other families in the tribe of Judah, too. But he's saying, no, it's just the family of David. It's going to come from your seed. After, uh, after his son Solomon reigns, the kingdom splits, right? Ten kingdoms of the north, ten tribes of the north, northern kingdom. Two tribes of the south, which is Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes north, they fall to the Assyrian Empire. Later, Judah and Benjamin, they suffer the same fate with Babylon, and it was all due to idolatry and rejection of the covenant of God. They said, we don't want your covenant. We want to do our own thing. God says, okay, Assyria and Babylon, carry them away. That's what happened. But God promises to his people, Israel, and in fact, the world, that in spite of Israel or anyone else's inability to keep the law and the covenants, that he would still send forth the Messiah. 
the road to Bethlehem, which has already included Bethlehem, will continue forward and circle back to Bethlehem. He gives these words of prophecy and hope uh, to the prophets and, and, and Micah. Um, do I have this up here? Uh, uh, oh, I missed all that. that. Go past that. Go past that. Uh, there we go. Um, yeah, here we go. Isaiah mentions... Um, so look at, the, look at uh, what God promises here. He gives these words of prophecy and hope. Um, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan in, I put it in blue. What's that city? Galilee, Galilee or region. It's not a city. It's actually a region. Uh, Galilee, it's just like Judah's a region. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness, seen a great light. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the reason we can know that this verse is, can't be just for any king or any child because the child, one of his names is Mighty God, <laughs> Everlasting Father. You don't call anyone else that you've ever met in this world, Hello, Mighty God. Not if you met a president, not if you met an emperor. No one else is mighty God except for mighty God. And everlasting father is reserved for God alone. But this son, this child, this is mind-bending for everyone trying to read it, what it all meant. But Galilee's mentioned here as well, interestingly enough, in uh, verses 1 and 2. Then Isaiah prophesies also in the 11th chapter, there shall come forth a rod... Also, synonym for scepter. A rod from the stem of who? Jesse. Jesse. Came out from Obed. A branch shall grow in his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Same prophet, ninth chapter. Same prophet, 11th chapter. Isaiah speaking to a composite picture here of what God is going to do. He hasn't done it yet. People wouldn't even understand at the time. What's he talking about? Micah comes along. Another prophet. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, all capital letters, the one to be ruler, capital ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from, everla are from everlasting. You and I will live everlasting. We're not from everlasting. You may, we have a starting point. This person, this king, is from everlasting. Before the foundation, foreordained. That makes sense? From everlasting. But Galilee and Bethlehem are involved here. Notice God's got all the geographies saying, if you, the works of the Lord are studied by those. Remember we read the passage in Psalm 111? The works of the Lord are studied. We consider them marvelous because we've actually studied them. People that don't study them, they're like, eh, your, your faith isn't so marvelous. How do you know that? Uh, because I went to church once when I was seven. So how much have you studied since then? Um, not much. How many times have you watched Star Wars? 37,000, you know, something like that. So you really don't have any point of context when you say that it's not marvelous, but you think Star Wars is amazing. That's why you've seen it that many times. By the way, I like the Star Wars stuff. I'm just simply drawing the comparison that people will act like they... Well, the reason I've rejected the Bible is because it's, it can't be trusted, but they've never really studied it at all. But if they studied it, they would see how amazing, how 
remarkable and how unstoppable the plan of God is. Amen? So, we've got these mentions. Galilee was not part of Judah, by the way. So this is an odd mention because Galilee is part of the ten tribes of the north, but the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. But some way, the Messiah has to be involved in Galilee. The family tree is in Bethlehem. Now, Israel will eventually be scattered. Israel is eventually scattered among the nations. And there's a 400-year period from the time of Malachi the prophet where no scripture is given. 400 years, no scripture is given. It's another big 400-year block because the 400-year block of Israel and Egypt, no scripture is really given in that time either. Remember, Abraham gets the 400-year, they're there for 400 years, and then all of a sudden, Moses comes. At the end of 400 years, John the Baptist comes. Two great prophets um, matter of fact, Jesus would later say John the Baptist would be the last of the prophets. He, he kind of he closes the book on all the prophets because John is just John actually says, "I'm just here to pave the road." There's that road again. That, 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 but, but we're going to get into that next week. But that road will go all the way to where? To Calvary. But Israel, they're scattered as a people. This is after, remember, after the captivities, they're scattered among the nations. That's why you can find Jewish people all over the world to this very day. You can go to Buenos Aires, Jewish communities. Middle East, Jewish communities. Parts of Africa, Jewish communities. Europe, Jewish communities. New York, San Francisco, Miami, L.A., Toronto, Jewish communities all over the world. But it was happening well before then, right? They had been spread out. But at the same time, even during that 400 years of matriculating and, and exile and being sent out, and uh, a Jewish population, a sizable Jewish population, was regrowing in the promised land during that 400 years. That they had returned, a remnant had returned from the Babylonian and Persian captivities. Remember Zerubbabel? He had rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah had rebuilt the walls. So a sizable Jewish population had regrown, even though many of their brothers and sisters were spread out around the world, a population was regrowing during that same 400 years. And part of that remnant that came out of the replanting is a seemingly insignificant, two poor, penniless peasants, but their descendants of King David named Joseph and Mary. But guess what? They don't live in Bethlehem. They live in Galilee. How did Isaiah know this? They lived in Galilee, but they should have been living in Judah because they were Judean. They weren't, they weren't of the ten tribes of the north. They were of the tribe of Judah, but they were living in Galilee. They weren't living in the land of Judah. They weren't living in their real tribe. It'd be like some of you saying, uh, if you're from Texas, I'm from God's country, Texas, and I'm stuck in Virginia. Yeah, I should be home. Like that. They were from Judah. I just say that because Texans think everything's bigger in Texas. And <laughs> I used to report to a Texas office when I was a corporate American, and I loved to kid them all about their, uh, you know, our airport's big and we like it that way. You know, it takes like a year to get it from one end of DFW to the other and all that stuff. But, but they were in Galilee, but they were from the tribe of Judah. Both of them were from the tribe of Judah. 
but they weren't living in their home tribe. But again, they weren't just both from the tribe of Judah. Both of them descended directly to David. Both of them, both Mary and Joseph, were direct descendants of David. But at that time, the dominant world empire was Rome. It wasn't Persia. It wasn't Greece. It wasn't Babylonia. And along comes a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. And in his both ego and desire to kind of understand what they had amassed, he gives a decree and says that everybody... I want a count of the whole empire, and everyone has to go back to the city of their ancestry. Otherwise, they would have stayed in Galilee. And where is that for Joseph and Mary? Bethlehem. Another return to Bethlehem. Keeps going back to Bethlehem, doesn't it? Now, we're going to stop there. Next, uh, next Sunday, we'll be looking. I just want to show you. We... we Start off with these two verses. But we want to look more next week at the fact that all of this, we, we're just, I just took you on the road to Bethlehem. Next week, we'll look at what actually happens in Bethlehem and all the other surrounding things. But long before it, the, the road was already merging. All the, all the lanes were merging to one road to Bethlehem. And eventually, all the roads will merge and lead to Calvary, but first and foremost, it all was predicated on the fullness of time. It was God's time. It was his plan. And no one even knew. I mean, Joseph and Mary didn't choose to be born in Galilee. They didn't even know they were actually matching up with Isaiah's prophecy and that Jesus would eventually go back and be raised as a Galilean, although he was Judean. Enough Does that make sense? He'd be raised, be like being raised in Vermont, but born in Florida. And that's what will take place. All of these things, next Sunday, we'll look at these final steps of what happens in Bethlehem. But as we consider and appreciate uh, God's sovereignty over the road to Bethlehem, here's my prayer. I pray that our faith, that you, Jesus, you know, said, it's good that you know these things, but, but that you apply them in your life. I pray that our faith will grow that we can be more saying, God, you, you're sovereign over my life, my road, my winding road. I just saw Paul's road. I just saw Moses' road. I think my road's going to be okay. That's what God wants you to know. That, hey, look, I, I'm going to make every time and space land exactly where it's supposed to land. You just keep your eyes on me. Moses did. Abraham did. David did. Mary did. Joseph did. Ruth did. Naomi did. And their road turned out okay. Not only that, it all folded into the plan. And God wants all of your roads to fold into the plan of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that our faith would grow. And I pray that, uh, that that paved and secured road to Bethlehem gives us a faith that our road is paved and secured. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you're sovereign over all things. We know, Lord, that uh, you've ordained these things even before time. We don't understand how that even works. Foreordained before time, you stepped into time. But Lord, we know that from the very beginning, your plan and a purpose was the shed blood, that your seed would crush the head of the serpent and crush the power of sin and death. And, and so, Lord, we're thankful that the road to Bethlehem was ultimately a road to Calvary. And Lord, we're thankful that you uh, opened our eyes 
to know that your scriptures are trustworthy. And Lord, not only trustworthy, but they're the words, the keys to eternal life. 